Hello, folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, aka Steven Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visa blog and author of the recently released A Special Relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. Now, if you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visupview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, all one word, dot blogspot.com. And procure a copy of A Special Relationship and my other works at The Farm's official store, which is The Farm Podcast, all one word, The Farm Podcast dot store. And please consider signing up for The Farm's Patreon. You get two additional full-length shows per month. That's between three and four hours of bonus material with exclusive guests and content. Okay. Today's guest is making his maiden appearance on the farm. He is a musician and esotericist. As to the former, he is a founding member of the electro-industrial band XP8 and has been playing and producing with Vatterhead since 2008. He has also released works and performed under such monikers as Pylon People and DJ Azrael, which is freaking an awesome name, I should add. As for esoteric interests, he has been initiated into Freemasonry, the AA, the Chronozone Club, and the OTO, among others, before going his own way. Currently, he is the driving force behind the Gnostic Church, the EEGU, and a th- which is a Thelemic and Gnostic offshoot, but not affiliated with any particular order. And finally, he has just announced his forthcoming book, which will drop in 2023. Folks, I give you guys the great Marco Visconti. Marco, thank you so much for dropping by today, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is very exciting. Yes, this is going to be a good one. All right, guys, for this episode, we are going to cover Marco's epic divorce from the OTO. If you haven't followed the story, that may not seem very exciting on the surface, but trust me, it's quite a tale. It's going to take us through the contemporary history of the OTO, the reactionary drift, the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, trolling, gang stalking from HN and other sources, the ongoing issue of sexual harassment in the OTO, and so much more. We are going to look at some of the most notorious figures linked to the modern OTO at various times, including James Wasserman, J. Daniel Gunther, Michael Loins, and Augustus Sol Invictus. Remember that guy? We'll even delve into a few farm staples such as Kenneth Grant and Discordianism, because we've got to. This one is also going to be a bit different from normal farm installments. This is a two-parter, the first part of which will be available today, the second part of which will be available on February 16th, which is a Wednesday, on the subscribers section. And not only will the subscribers have access to the second part of this interview, they'll also get the first half of my examination of Rosicrucianism from Al with from Forum Boralis. That is an epic exploration, too, that's uh, going to lead us into Amor, uh, Amor, which has got its own uh, very curious history as well. So in two days, you get that and the uh, conclusion to this particular interview, guys. Definitely give that some thought. It'll make a great Valentine's present for that special someone in your life, trust me. All right, since the OTO will be central to our discussion, let's unpack that a bit before we really dig in. So briefly, Marco, go over the various Grand Lodges across the world, their interactions, or like there are four of, and so forth. Okay, uh, so we're starting, we're starting with a big one, and it sets, it sets the tone, so it's a good place to start. Um, I always like to say that the OTO is a 
for those who are interested in Aleister Crowley's dilemma and how it was supposed to evolve over the last hundred something years, uh, certainly since uh, Crowley's death in 47, um, the hotel is one of those names that, that pop up immediately because it's the name that somehow became the most famous or notorious. Now, what I like to say is that the OTO that exists in books and people's mind, it doesn't, it does not exist in real life. Um, somehow people have this idea reading Crowley's uh, books that the OTO was this Thelemic Masonic Brotherhood that spans across the globe and has, um, has its hands in the pies of everything that matters. Uh, I mean, from, from the founding members, of, sorry, from the founding um, documents of the OTO, like for instance, Liber 194, it is written that uh, the OTO um, summarizes the noses and the knowledge of different August bodies, including, among many, the Illuminati, and that is obviously like a name that became very famous or notorious over the last, uh, I would say, 40 years, really. And and so it's easy for people to to jump to the idea that, well, if, if, if this is the, the, the new edition of the Illuminati, pretty much, it must be all powerful and all uh, spreading, spreading all over the world. Well, the reality is that, first of all, the OTO never really counted more than a couple of hundred members in Crowley's life, maybe more, maybe less. Um, and nowadays, if you if you go onto their their web pages or if you um, petition to join and you're presented with a, with a pamphlet that tells you pretty much what you're going to join, uh, it says that the OTO has around 4000 members worldwide. First of all, for a thousand members, we already realized that it's something incredibly small. <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely not uh, it's not enough manpower to uh, to be that kind of almost like uh, octopus behind uh, the scenes that controls everything and everybody. Uh, the reality is a bit worse than that because uh, as I eventually ended up discovering in my in my years in the OTO, uh, th that number is also inflated. Uh, because the the person that it's something that's been done to try and, and you know not face reality I would say and uh, the person that's done that is uh, is the current uh, grand uh, treasurer general uh, of OTO International which is the governing body uh, uh, over everything else including those grand, grand lodges that you mentioned it and we'll come back to it in a second uh, this person calls Ver Chapelle, and he pretty much realized that the numbers were not there, so he decided to start counting also all the all those members that went inactive. Now, I just want to make this point before moving on, because it's it's something really it always like kind of made me realize how much time I wasted when I really realized the situation, because these people should be you know knights philosophers and uh, advanced initiates, and they're trying to manipulate the numbers to look not just abysmally bad, but just a little better than that. Um, when I say inactive, imagine that you want to join the OTO and you, you know, so you read this pamphlet and you decide to, you see the people that you met, they're not too bad. Maybe you're invited to one public ritual, which is called the, the Gnostic Mass. And it's beautiful, it's well done, it's a beautiful ritual. You are, you, you're roped in and you join as a Minerva, uh, grade zero. Uh, the Minerva is the introductory degree in the OTO, and it's where you, you're not fully committed yet, 
but you 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 having a glimpse of what it's like. There's an initiation ritual which lasts thirty minutes more or less, and it's interesting. But uh, I think Lon Milo Duquette, once, which is a very famous Thelemic author and a decent person. Uh, one said that the, the Minerval degree is almost uh, um, wasted on new initiates on Minervals because it's very short but very rich of symbology that you are absolutely unable to understand right away. So let's say that after this you realize that this is this wasn't the Illuminati. This wasn't this like secret cabal behind uh, the ward and you just leave and most people do by simply never answering to emails anymore, never answering to dues reminders. Uh, in my in my times as OTO, I was the treasurer of Ameth Lodge in, uh, here in London, UK, and most of my job was sending out dues reminders because people just stop paying and they just never, you never see them anymore. Well, that's when you become an inactive member. And I think you would agree with me is that if you see a person one time and never again, well, that they're not really members, right? they should not be counted but they do get counted so that that number can get to around 4000 members worldwide uh, i think i set up the, i set i set up the 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 you know the stage here for a story of um, disappointment uh, that has been my experience with OTO, uh and it would have been okay if it was just personal disappointment you know i've been in, i've been in very invested in Telema since my teens. Uh, before joining the OTO, I was initiated into the AA, uh, and this, the AA is, the, let's say, the, the, the name AA means Argentum Astrum, uh, at least in the, you know, for the non-initiates, and it is the, the system of magic of Telema. It is, the, is where you learn how to be a magician. The OTO teaches something, teach, it was supposed to teach you something different, uh, specific sets of uh, specific uh, magical rituals and alchemical rituals. And it was meant to be um, a brotherhood, like it was meant to be um, a, a reply, like an answer to uh, Freemasonry. Um, so this appointment would have been okay if it wasn't that um, Eventually, I ended up discovering what you mentioned in the introduction, this very severe uh, drift towards the alt-right and the far-right itself. Uh, something that has always been there, but has been uh, definitely exacerbated in recent years. One pivotal point, you mentioned it, was the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in August 2017. And on top of that, there's also a very 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 ongoing um culture of of well i used to, I, I called it in my writing omerta which is this italian term for you know silence uh, at all cost um else something bad will happen to you and the reality is there is that the, the the something bad that will happen to you in my case was um well death threats and uh, you know, would, uh, doxing on H Chan, and um, you know, threats of being firebombed at my uh, my workplace, and other uh, fun experiences. So, you told me to go briefly over this, and of course, I it's it's quite difficult to go briefly over this. Well, but, okay. Um, okay, get into the explain the Grand Lodges because I believe there's three of them right in the world right now for the OTO. 
there are more. Okay, okay. Uh, so, yeah. I know so we're going to get into these like later, so kind of want to delay them out for the listeners. Yeah, yeah, of course. So right in the OTO, as I said, it is written, it is a structure right now with uh, what's called OTO International, which is the, the the top leadership. Okay, at the top you have a person called uh, Hymenaeus. Well, its initiatic name is Hymenaeus Beta. Uh, his real name is William Breeze, and then you have some other people behind him, uh, and then. Uh, on a more national level, you have these five Grand Lodges. They are the, the first one was the Grand Lodge of the United States. Then you have the Grand Lodge of the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland. Then you have the Grand Lodge of Australia. And then uh, in 2013, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the or 14, one of those two, uh, the Grand Lodges of Croatia of all places, which is funny because there's no one there, and uh, of Italy, which is tiny, uh, were established. Now, these two extra Grand Lodges were established before, because in order for the OTO to freely function as the, um, the founding documents were supposed to, like, were laid out, well, you have to have five Grand Masters that um, give the green light to the worldwide leader, okay? So, pretty much the OTO up until the last seven years was not even... Um, regular according to its own funding funding documents and so they just put together these two grand lodges even if in croatia you have 20 people and in italy you have maybe 100 people and uh, those were of course the ultra loyalist to the to the top level and they were given a grand lodge status but again we're talking about like minuscule numbers uh and we're talking about people that meet in you know in their friend's basement it's it's not what you think it is. Um, it really is uh, pathetic in many ways. So on top of that, you will have what's called um, national national um, groups. For instance, I don't know. Um, in Belgium, you have some you maybe have like some groups. Of, they're never called lodges. I mean, lodge lodge is a specific term in the OTO, and then you have oases and camps. Which and those three we we used to call them um, when I was member of the OTO, um, the OTO uh, local bodies of the Man of Earth Triad. The OTO initiatory system is divided into triads, and each triad has several degrees that you need to get initiated into each successfully. Uh, you have you start with the Man of Earth Triad, which comprises of six initiations, and these six initiations will be administered either in a lodge, or in a camp, or in an oasis. Uh, I'm simplifying, but I guess that's that's enough. Uh, then you have the Lover's Triad with chapters and mystic temples, and then you will have um, the, the Hermic Triad with other kind of like names for the assemblies, okay? Um, the way, the way, let's say, like the way they interact to each other, well, they really don't, right? Um, the only, the only uh, Grand Lodge that that has a, like a semblance of organization is the American one. It's because it is the, the oldest, uh, and by oldest, I mean 1985. Uh, that's when the current OTO won a landmark um, case uh, to be um, recognized as the uh, legal holder of the copyrights to the name of the OTO and to the literary estate of Aleister Crowley. There are others OTO out there. Societas OTO in uh, um, well in, uh, in Brazil, but across Latin America. And before that, there were there are other OTOs that are pretty much like 
smaller and not not very well known but you find them in here in the uk you find them in italy you find them in austria you find them in germany uh, again this is because uh, the despite what the current incarnation uh, wants you to believe and despite the history they wrote on their website that is really a case of his story uh, there's always been different incarnations of this current and there still are so as i said it's it's difficult for me to even say what kind of interaction because there, there really isn't uh, from time to time, the people at the top, the people that lead the, the, these, um, these Grand Lodges, or even national uh, groups, they are so incompet incompetent and they are almost like uh, unable to, to work in, in, in synchrony that you will have, for instance, <laughs> when the social media started to become a thing, right? Uh, we're talking about 2008, 2009. Uh, the, the United Grand Lodge, United States Grand Lodge, was the one that really started pushing for, uh, well, to use these new tools, at the time new, uh, in order to keep on promulgating the law of dilemma, which is one of the main, uh, the main goals of the OTO. Well, what happened in, in the UK, uh, people decided that, uh, no, uh, the OTO should be a secret society, uh, people should seek out the OTO, and uh, we should never use uh, social media ever. I mean, this was one of my big, biggest gripes when I was a member, uh, because, uh, you know, I was, maybe I, I, I was given the task to, uh, you know, refresh the website, but then of, of both Grand Lodge and of, of Ameth Lodge, the, lo the local London Lodge, but then it would never be accepted because the people at the top, we're talking people in their 60s, they're really like, <laughs> they're almost like Luddites in many ways. They were like, oh, no, no, we shouldn't do like the Americans because it's bad, it's bad for us. Uh, just to give you an idea, when I left the OTO here in the Grand Lodge of the UK, was um, averaging like 250 active members. Of course, there's been COVID, but even before COVID, after I wrote my uh, exposés, if you want, they were down to 120. And I guess, I guess there's not many left right now. So to give you an idea, this is the extent of the OTO. It doesn't mean that they weren't able to, to do a lot of damage, uh, as you mentioned, through those people that you mentioned. Now, how did this uh, differ from like the idealized version of the OTO as uh, Crowley had envisioned it? It's interesting that you mentioned this because a lot of the people that ended up giving the OTO a bad name in recent years, of course, everybody, I'm talking about everybody that's really connected with this idea of the OTO and Telema as being pretty much like a new expression of an ultra libertarian alt-right um, philosophy, they tend to, and those are the kind of people that will, will, you know, worship at the altar of Crowley the prophet, and they will get very uh, aggressive if anybody wants, like me, but not I'm not the only one, like try to make the point that maybe Telema should move post Crowley. Um, well, these people tend to forget that as for the, those founding documents, Liber 194 is one, but there are others, Crowley set up the OTO to be almost like a socialist commune <laughs> because it was, it was it would be in his vision, and I want to be clear here, the vision never ever actualized 
uh, it's only it, what you write, what you will read into the papers. It's a great idea on paper if you like that idea, but it never ever will, never ever happened. Okay, um, he really envisioned uh, an the idea to eventually become an alternative to how you run society itself. Uh, it harkens back to the idea of you know. Plato's Republic in many ways, with a philosopher, well, a, 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 let's say, um, a group, an Aeropagus of philosopher kings at the tops, that should be the, the most excellent of men and women. It'd uh, be sort of like a king to like um, um, Sinarchy or something like that as well. Yeah, you, you might want to say that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, everybody who's um, who engages with this, uh, you know, the more you, the more you get involved in the OTL, according to the founding documents, the more you would, for instance, you would have to take vows of po poverty because then the, the, the whole system would pay you back, right? According to it's in, in, in it's written according to what, uh, the person was, uh, was earning at the time of, of him joining the order. Uh, it's a it's an utopian idea, obviously. Uh, it is, a, but it is in many ways it is a beautiful idea that even if maybe would have never been able to manifest as it is written, it could have been, uh, could have been attempted at least. And people in the OTO right now they will still tell you, well, we are attempting the the Liber One and Four model, with some differences though, because. Uh, first of all, there's I, I believe there are two crucial points in uh, how Crowley envisioned the OTO. First of all, those are uh, at the very bottom of this pyramid because it is a pyramid. The OTO is not a democracy. The OTO it is an autocracy, but it it is almost like um, meant to be like an enlightened dictatorship, which, as we know, it never works because we're humans. But uh, in Crowley's documents, the people at the bottom, the, the man of earth triad, knew uh, almost as a part of the social contract that they were they were they were supposed to strive to go into the next level, into the next triad. If you want to say into the next caste, this is very similar to, for instance, this. And I'm quoting uh, more or less verbatim from the book. Uh, it was the state of the slaves at the time of Menenium Agrippa in, in the Roman Republic, because uh, a slave could um, could buy it, its own uh, its own uh, freedom, and this is kind of the same, right? Like you you put in the work, you support the community, you build up your lodges, you work in your lodges, you work to yourself, and after you completed the degrees of the man of earth, then you have a chance to move on to the next one. That almost never happened, especially in recent years, because the OTO became the cesspool of nepotism, right? In order to, to go into the, sec the second triad, the lover's triad, you either never, you pretty much either you were there at the beginning and you did move, you were fast tracked to the degrees because people were need, you, you, those degrees are needed to do specific rituals in the OTO, specific initiations in the OTO. Or if you joined when I joined, uh, you were supposed to pretty much always uh, stay silent, toe the party line, never, never, ever question authority, which is as anthelemic as it gets. And maybe you were given some scraps, but with the knowledge that no one ever gets to the top anymore. As long as the current leadership is there, they made it very clear that 
it's simply not gonna happen. Uh, one of the people that left right after I left was a nine degree in um, Norway. And this person wrote, uh, it's called Tal Marilyn. And this person wrote a series of pamphlets, well, of internal documents, really pretty much like the condemning the, the leadership for this uh, unwillingness to keep initiating. This is because the people at the top are scared of being contested, right? They, 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 they're people that pretty much ended up believing their own, their own fairy tale, where they are, they're like, you know, these high initiates and philosopher kings, even if they never really had, there's no reason to believe it because they never produce anything of value um, ever. And also it's funny because the other thing that it's written in the in this founding documents is that there should be um, a role in this, let's say, in this ideal of Ptolemic society represented by the OTO for the revolutionaries. Now, the revolutionaries were members of the, the nine degree, which is the highest, highest degree of the OTO, that, that they were tasked with constantly challenging the authority, constantly challenging the leadership, the, the, those, those in a position of leadership, right? Constantly, even if they believed they were doing right. Because the idea is that like only if a leader is able to pretty much like live by example and keep, um, you know, keep, um, um, I say, um, getting, you know, getting you know, more good work into the system itself, then only in that case, they're supposed to remain in leadership. Now, guess what? <laughs> People, uh, most I mean, the, the, the current leadership got pretty much entirely rid of the revolutionaries. In the United States, they exist and they are friends of David Scriven, Sabasius, uh, that is the, the, the Grandmaster or Supreme and Holy King of the United Grand Lodge of uh, uh, the United States. And it's the same here in the UK. Uh, it's the same everywhere, really. I mean, they exist, but they will never, ever work as actual revolutionaries because um because it's really as it's it's really like people that completely miss the idea there uh to the point that i really believe that you know from us from a uh, from an initiatory perspective the idea is dead has been dead for years it turned into a vampiric egregore like it's like every time somebody you know joins the OTO right now, which not many anymore, but some, but some some people still do, especially now, after two years of the pandemic, a lot of people have, like, want to go back to have, you know, uh, meetings with people, you know, they, they want to go to maybe a lodge or maybe want to go want to experience these rituals. Well, unfortunately, if you do join it now, you're just going to give your energy to these people. Of course, if you believe in magic, but if you don't believe in magic, then I mean, why joining the OTL, right? Because if it's just like, um, I don't know, um, a social group. Well, there's plenty of social groups you can join, even that are interested in Telema. So it, it really, it, it really, you know, it's kind of, kind of like boggles my mind when I still read. I mean, recently somebody uh, sent me an email uh, asking me what I thought about the OTO and pretty much I told them exactly what I'm telling you now. But then I was like, well, I'm telling you this because I, I just joined as a Minerval and the people here, they're all good. They're great people. Um, I, I don't I, I really cannot see what you're telling me. Well, this is how pretty much they scam you most of the time, because first of all, it's very rare that um, 
anything happens at the lodge level, at the manovert level, right? 90% of the time, 93% uh, of the time, if you allow me a little, a little like telemic pun, you get people that uh, are generally trying to create a, um, a local telemic community, especially if it's outside big cities, right? If it's not LA or New York, but it's, I don't know, uh, North Carolina, you have people, or here, I don't know, Wales here, you have people that are generally interested in telema and want, and they don't know who to talk to, or maybe they're not, you know, talking about this online is not enough for them. And I understand that. So they would just see the, their local community and they think everything is great, everything's fine, everything is, is, is peachy. And they miss the point that they will, they will, they will keep investing into this and years will pass and they will be pretty much like roped into by sunk cost fallacies, say, I cannot leave anymore, even if that's when the, the relationship will have become toxic. And this is even before I am, I am telling, I, I, I'm factoring in that magical element whereby, you know, you, you, you pay your dues, that's energy that goes somewhere. It doesn't go back to you, it goes to the top and it stays at the top. There's no trickle down, which is, you know, story of our Western societies, I suppose. Now, uh, the deficiencies of the UK OTO were evident to you from very early on via the lack of instruction. Uh, could you elaborate on that in a bit? Of course. Um, so they, one of the things you will hear a lot being repeated online on the OTO, unofficial group on Facebook, on Reddit, um, on various blogs, is that the OTO is not a teaching order. The reason for this is, there's two reasons for this, uh, maybe more. Uh, first of all, most of the people that uh, act as master of the lodge, which is also usually the initiator the, or initiatrix, uh, the person that, you know, delivers the initiation, most of the times they are not masters of the lodge because they are, they know magic or they have studied the system it's because there was no one else to give the job to, and they were there, right? Uh, I, I, I have, I have um, Scott Wilde of the Electoral College of the United States. Um, I don't know if he's still Electoral College, but I have him on a screenshot that tells me exactly this. Like the Electoral College in, uh, is the system in the ODO that gives masterships to people. And, and he told me like, you know what? Our problem is that we don't have people. We need to give it to someone. So. You can see the problem, right? Because maybe, uh, I don't know, John Doe is given mastership of the lodge and maybe he's been studying Telema for two years, three years, four years. And maybe nobody ever stopped and taught him anything, but now he has to impart an initiation. Uh, again, if you, if you buy into the magical idea, well, initiation can be imparted by simply by parampara, you know, by transmitting the lineage. But then, when it comes to the specific initiation of Lutiod, which is Masonic or paramasonic in nature, well, there's a lot of things that happen in the rituals, the way they're constructed. They are allegories and symbols, and these allegories and symbols need to be explained. And it's not, a, it's not like, you know, which is something that a lot of people will tell you. It's like, well, it, it's down to you to learn what, is this, what this is about. That's nonsense. This, it, it, because, you know, this actually... Uh, um, allows for the idea that everything goes, everything that, that goes into your mind, uh, it's good enough. 
Unfortunately, when it comes to Freemasonry and everything that's derived from Freemasonry, it's an incredibly precisely codified system. And this is the same for the OTO. So um, one of the things that happened to me is that nobody ever stopped to explain me anything about all the rituals that I went through. Okay. Now, I was not a newbie. I was, as I said, uh, when I joined the OTO, I, I already had like 15 years of studying Telema, maybe a bit more, actually. I was an initiate of DAA, I was an initiate of the Coronson Club, I was an initiate, I mean, I, I was a Gnostic bishop through Barmichael Bertieu already at the time. So I had studied it already, but nobody in the OTO ever gave me uh, a degree lesson, which is the, 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 the technique, uh, the, sorry, the technique, uh, technical term for this. Um, there is no... There is no, there are no, there are no books. No, there's no like internal um, documents that circulate that will tell. Will, uh, if nobody is, nobody is there to give you the lesson. Well, at least you can read that. Crowley himself wrote only some notes for Minerva, first degree, and some others, but they're all scattered. And most of this is actually not published because remember when I told you at the very beginning that the, the current OTO is pretty much they established their, 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 their lawfulness by winning a court case as um, um, ex literary executor of, Crowley, of the Crowley estate. Well, they did a pathetic job at publishing anything. So there's a lot of things that are not easily accessible, even those uh, bits and pieces that can be found in Crowley's diaries. Why is that? Incompetence just sheer incompetence. So I would say that this was particularly bad here in the UK. Um, I was given some instructions in Italy, which is where I originally joined. I'm, I'm from Rome, Italy. Uh, and I know that it's not as bad in Norway. Uh, it's not as bad in Australia. It's not about in the United States. Here in the UK, absolutely atrocious. Like nothing... Nothing of value was ever passed upon me. Uh, there's a couple of exceptions, but it's not uh, related to the um, to the degrees it's, uh, themselves, but to the performance of the Gnostic Mass, which is um, named the, cent the central public ritual of the OTO. Now, one person, Frater Spiritus, which is the current uh, Grand uh, Secretary of uh, United, uh, United, um, United Kingdom Grand Lodge, he did uh, spend good good amount of time to uh, explain me things of the Gnostic Mass, like performance of the Gnostic Mass, the ideas behind it, but that's about it. Um, so yes, when you say like, uh, what are, the, it's not even, the, we're not even talking about deficiencies. It's like complete lack of organization, complete lack, I would say, I would say a complete lack of, of knowledge. There is, I can only think maybe two or three people ever that I ever met among the hundreds that I met uh, members uh, across the years that have any actual knowledge of what they were doing. Um, also because, <laughs> as, I, as I said many times, the OTO started as a you know, pan-Masonic academia and it's still heavily Masonic in nature. Now I'm a Freemason, so I understood how, you know, how, uh, let's say I understood the beat of the ritual. But if you're not a Freemason and no, nobody speaks about Freemasonry, and actually, uh, whenever the discourse come out, you, most of the time Freemasonry is also mocked because what is this old Ionic nonsense? 
well, how do you understand the system you're doing? <laughs> how do you understand the, how do you understand the rituals you're going through? Unfortunately, my experience really was um, nothing else than a social group of people that love to um, like get together, put on their, their, their black robes, do something very badly understood, and then go to the pub and spend hundreds at the pub, but then complaining about spending more than 15 pounds a month to get a proper temple. Yes, it's that bad. So you describe the type of people drawn to the OTO as, quote, broken men and women. Uh, can you elaborate on that a bit? I mean, this is something that comes from my uh, article that I released in 2018 when I left um, the wasteland. I realized that I might be, I mean, when I wrote that, I was really angry and I realized um, that particular phrase might be um, a bit, bit strong. The reality is that um, when you, again, when you, for most people, when they think of the, they, they, most people that don't know anything about um, fraternal groups, uh, maybe not even about Freemasonry, uh, if you hear about the OTO, you have this idea of this, I don't know, everybody is Jay-Z, or you have these famous people in the OTO, you have these successful people in the OTO. My experience has been the opposite, right? Uh, I hardly found the OTO people that had um, successful careers. I hardly found people in the OTO that had financial stability. I hardly found in the OTO people that had any sort of, I don't know, even academic prowess. It's difficult to, to really uh, pinpoint what makes a person you know, broken, but I was seeing, uh, I was seeing a lot of uh, addictions of various sorts, um, not just drugs, maybe alcohol, or maybe dopamine, or maybe, you know, just, uh, just people unable to really make sense of their own lives. Uh, and, you know, the more this was, this was bad here in the UK, but this was particularly bad in the United States. Um, it was really, I mean, most of the people in the OTO in the United States really are, um, you know, they come from the fringes of society. And this was never, ever Crowley's idea. Uh, the idea was that you, not only you would have to attract the, the rich and powerful, not just for this because it's important to be rich, rich and powerful, but because you need means to build uh, an alternative society that which was Crowley's idea. Um, and, you know, so you, you never, you, you never get that you never ever, ever get anything but people that just wanted to pretty much use what was supposed to be a sacred way of initiation as a pastime as a social uh, to find you know, their own social their own social bubble pretty much because unfortunately, most of the times nobody else wanted them. So this is, I think, how eventually you started, uh, the OTO started attracting this reactionary drift, like the, the alt-right. Uh, 
in the well in the 70s before the OTO really came back together and well maybe even the 60s 70s and then 80s there was instead of the the the, the far right there was a lot of like hippies or you know the 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 remnants of the the summer of love the remnants of the 60s you know that's what what was attracted to the OTO at first and of course it didn't work out because it was difficult to to herd cats in that sense and so the OTO kind of like switched from one extreme of society onto the next one, um, with all the the problems that I ended up facing myself, pretty much. Well, to play devil's advocate, though, I mean, wouldn't that to some extent also be, because uh, my understanding is, I mean, taboo and the breaking therefore of is really crucial to magic and. Um, I mean, I also kind of feel in some ways, maybe it's a reflection of uh, how society has changed. I mean, in the 60s and 70s, typically to break taboos, you would uh, uh, embrace more left-wing political activism. But I mean, you know, in 2022, uh, you know, open expressions of homosexuality, for instance, don't really have a lot of shock value yeah. in Western society anymore, certainly not to the extent of waving a swastika around wood. So, I mean, maybe in some ways, I think it's also a reflection of just the fact that, um, you know, now, I mean, the right is probably much more, or the far right, rather, is much more taboo than the far left is. I mean, absolutely. But the thing is that breaking taboo has nothing to do with Telema. <laughs> uh, telema, has, telema has been often described as a left-hand path. Now, first of all, we should really get rid of the of the terms left and path right and path there's a fantastic uh, series of blogs by phil hein on this topic and uh, you can find it on unfolding.org which is phil's uh, blog and uh after you know phil hein is mostly known for chaos magic at least in our circles here like uh, people that are interested in magic or in conspiracies and fringe uh, science. However, Phil Hein has been practicing and studying Tantra for much longer than anything else. And yet that's his focus right now. That's been for a long time. And so he, he wrote this beautiful article, this series of articles, where really like proves that everything we in this, in, in, in a culture, if you want, know about left and right path, it's wrong. Because it's it's pretty much like bad understandings of bad translations coming from theosophy that has trickled down the, the decades up until now, because nobody usually has any interest of going a little bit deeper and study the sources. Thing is that now we have access to the sources. And the idea that, you know, this this idea that like like the left hand path is about like just like breaking every taboo possible. I mean, you might find some of like this into the Agoris, uh, sex, and maybe and not so much into the nath, nath sets, for instance. Now, that said, Crowley never thought of Telema as a right-hand, uh, sorry, as a left-hand path. He actually speaks of the brothers of the left-hand path as the Black Brotherhood, the ones that actually kind of like fight against Telema. Telema is not about taboos. Maybe it can be useful to... Uh, engage in, in taboo activity to find out who you truly are, what you like and what you don't like at a, you know, at a personal level in order to eventually discover the key point of dilemma, which is true will. And true will is transpersonal. It's beyond who I am. Like the true will, it's nothing that Marco wants. 
It's who's behind, what is behind Marco that drives the this incarnation and drives every incarnation as well. So in that sense, you know, I, I can see your point, but I think that those who do that miss the point of dilemma. Now, of course, this is, there is a lot of people, there are a lot of people in, that had these ideas and they, they have leadership position in the OTO. They had it and they have it right now. So as you can imagine, it's, it's really like a, a big comedy of errors or tragedy of errors in this case, because uh, it's really, it's almost like, like missing the main point and then, and then rolling with it. So I really don't know if, if breaking taboo has really such an important value. Because as you said, uh, then every other, what, what, is it, what is it like? like so the, the, the answer is just going against the grain for the sake of it. I think it's much more important to find out who you truly are at least in this incarnation, and what you truly are into this incarnation, usually, not always, but usually, it's to, well, uh, you know, be able to function in whatever society you are, uh, you, you know, you're, you, you find yourself to live in. Now, that doesn't mean that a sort of, like, I don't know, Luciferian spirit, which is very present in Telema as well, cannot, um, you know, once you, once you have found your, um, your space in society can this sort of, of Luciferian spirit might uh, prompt you to enact a change, to think of a change, to dream of a change. But it's really not just about you know, well, drugs are bad, so let's for society, so let's do drugs. Or sex is you know, everybody's approved, so let's let's have sex with everything that moves. Or not right now, like well. We all know that Nazis are bad, so let's be a Nazi. I mean, that is when you don't have dilemma. That is when you have, um, I don't know, Nick Land. That is when you have uh, the, the Order of the Nine Angles, you know, cheap Satanism. That is not dilemma in the slightest. That's very well said, Marco. And um, that, certainly, I think that'll be a topic that we'll be revisiting here in a little bit. But uh, that was definitely very well said. Um, but okay, so let's start getting into the uh, reactionary drift with uh, the OTO. Uh, I know James Wazerman was a figure that you point to as being a crucial factor in this. Uh, so can you get into that a bit for us? You know, obviously give us a little bit of the origin story of Mr. Wazerman too. Of course. Um, so first of all, um, it, it's important to to say it um, to say right, right away that James Wasserman passed uh, a year ago, a year and a half ago, in November 2020 or October 2020, around that time. Um, and uh, um, up until that point, he, as he was one of, really one of the key figures of the Renaissance, or lack thereof, of Telema since the 70s. Wasserman is a, I never met him personally. I spoke with him a lot over the internet, over the years, before, you know, let's say parting ways, uh, when things became un un not sustainable anymore. Uh, and I would say that with me in my in private, com in private communication, conversation, emails, Facebook messages, it's always been very polite. Uh, it was definitely a very polite individual. And it's also a person, um, his personal story, it's written by uh, in his autobiography called In the Center of the Fire. And it makes for a very interesting read because you almost see a, a, an individual descent into the abyss in the sense that um, 
Wasserman starts in the 60s as a you know starry-eyed hippie that wanted to wanted more from 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 his life and he discovered Telema and he realizes that potential for that you know what I said, as I said before the potential for the, that individuation uh, of of your of a true will and understanding you know that through that you can actually move away from what you think you want and understanding what it is the transpersonal will which implies a connection with god what however we want to uh, think god to be and he became pivotal in the uh, re-establishing of the oto uh, possibly because he was a traitor <laughs> in the sense that uh, he was um uh, he was the one of the students of this person in uh, Brazil called Marcelo Mota, and uh, the story goes that Marcelo Mota went mad, and he definitely was not an easy person to deal with. But it's interesting to say that whenever you find somebody in, that you know that does not conform to the story of uh, of the OTO, it's always somebody who went mad. Like, uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's a story that repeats itself. But wh why I call Wasserman a traitor is because pretty much uh, during that um, landmark case that I mentioned before, Wasserman pretty much, you know, uh, turned, turned, did, uh, turned, turned his allegiances and provided some crucial information to the other party that made it possible uh, for them to win the case. Now... This was 85, it was, and up until this point, um, Wasserman it was known to be a drug user, uh, an alcoholic, uh, somebody who was really living an, an extreme life. And he speaks about it in, in, in his book, In the Center of the Fire, so uh, you can read it, um, or the listeners can read it. It was in 1889 when the book ends, and when one of his close friends, um, Richard Gernon, which was another uh, member of the OTO, one of those who pretty much like uh, restarted it all after the landmark case, uh, after Gernon dies of overdose, that Wasserman, you know, you know, stops drinking, uh, stops the, the doing drugs, and people that know him uh, told me directly that that's also when he started to go down the rabbit hole of, well, the far right, really. We're not even talking uh, alt-right in the case of Wasserman. Wasserman uh, is the kind of person that when the you know the 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 Waco massacre happened, he was writing in the OTO publications that it was the duty of each telemite to arm themselves because they will be they will be coming for us at some point and we need to defend ourselves. So Wasserman is the kind of guy that left uh, New York to go live in Florida because the rules for gun carrying in New York were too 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 hard, right? I mean, this is something that as an as an European, I really cannot rewrap my mind around because for me, gun owning is nonsense. And I'm sorry if I'm offending some of the listeners here, but uh, it's good for 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 the Americans to understand that. We really don't understand you guys, <laughs> but in the sense of Wasserman, he went to live in Florida because he needed his AK-47. You know that, that he went that deep, deep, deep down into uh, almost like prepper survivalist uh, mode because he was sure that the day will come when they will come for us. And you know, if you read the Book of the Law, which is the central text of uh, the of Dilemma. 
there's three chapters in it and the first two are very mystical the third one is very reactionary very fiery and you can the thing is that this is a you know this is a revelatory text it's it's difficult to it's i mean there's no single um commentary on that it is actually uh, it, it, one of the tasks of a telemite is that each person should understand them for themselves and it's definitely true that you can read that chapter three of the book of the law as uh, as, a, as a very martial uh, kind of uh, teaching. Or you can understand it from, from a magical standpoint and realize it re realize other truths, right? Now, I'm not going to go into that, but a lot of people, I made and Wasserman himself, used to make the point that, you know, this is what we must do. This is what our religion tells us to do. It's uh, the jury still out. Is Telema is a religion or not? It's def it definitely ticks a lot, if not all, the boxes of religion. But I like to say that Telema is a religion for those who needs religion. If you don't need religion, Telema can be uh, a magical philosophy. It's akin to Buddhism, maybe in some sense in this. Uh, but if you then are the kind of person that thinks that somebody's out there to kill you and get you. Uh, and you need a religion, well, you can you can go to the extents and to the extremes that James Wasserman went to. James Wasserman, you know, in 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 he, he was the catalyst of the big schism of August 2017. And this is because, and I may be you know anticipating some of your questions, but uh, the reality there, the narrative here flows into one in, in one the other. And that is that what there was a pivotal moment in August 17, literally the weekend of the Unite the Rally, uh, sorry, Unite the Right Rally in Charlottesville, that was um, when this bombshell photos of an OTO member called Matthew Lyons were published by Getty Images, so they were published worldwide, everywhere, and this Matthew Lyons guy, young guy, uh, is dead of overdose, uh, where pop were shown like him wearing an OTO hoodie and act, you know, with a MAGA hat and acting as um, the bodyguard of Gavin McInnes, because this guy, Matthew Lyons, was also a proud boy. This is before the proud boy, really, as you will remember, before the proud boy really got you know, really went to, you know, pretty much become like the one of the main forces behind the, the capital insurrection from last year. But they were they were already there. At, the, at that time, they were just like Gavin McKinn's like stupid little uh, society of, uh, I mean, I insult. personal bodyguard or something to that. Yeah, yeah, personal bodyguard, personal bodyguard. I mean, this picture is on, it's everywhere. <laughs> if you look like, you know, um, Gavin McKinn's, um, Telema, you will find this picture. It's it is on my uh, on my blog. It is this this picture made the rounds, obviously, and everybody lost their mind, me included, because we were like, this is gonna be bad for us because the, for the, the you know like the audio as I told you, it's minuscule, it's irrelevant, it's leadership, it's incompetent, but we were still seeing the return of the satanic panic, which is in full swing right now. We were still seeing, I mean, Pizzagate just happened the year before. And the OTO is always right there as one of those 
targets for the ultra-religious nuts. I mean, I was doing a live stream the other day on my uh, YouTube channel, and lo and behold, I get this investigative journalist from Australia asking me if I'm eating, um, you know, adrenochrome. You know, it, it never goes away. It's always there. And it's something that, as a telemite and as a member of a group, you know that you will have to face it, especially if you are in a position of authority. So everybody lost their marbles, right? It was like, oh my God, this is going to be terrible. The, the forums were busting with, with messages. Um, and that's when we realized that we were being played by the same leadership, because that's when James Wasserman starts making excuses for Lyons, calling him uh, a great brother, calling him somebody very uh, uh, proud of his ideals. And, uh, and then, I mean, from that point onwards, things got spiraled worse and worse and worse and worse. We realized that there were a lot of people all around, all, all belonging to Wasserman's entourage. So Florida, uh, Georgia, Louisiana, you name it, the southern states, right? <laughs> uh, that, you know, were organizing themselves into something called the Telemic Confederacy, because, of course, you know, they were going to call themselves like that. And they were really pretty much like pretty vocal, very nasty against their supposed brothers and sisters, uh, celebrating the time, the time that their time had come. It was it was the moment where you know they were gonna get rid of all the libtards, of all the you know the the, the weak people that that took over the OTO. Everybody everybody that was like pretty much like the so like you you get the you get the drift. Like everybody that happened in society at large happened in the OTO. For a lot of us, it was like it was really like a, a shower. Like you know, oh my god, what the hell is happening here? Because these people did a good job of just like, you know, not showing their faces up until that point. And the big problem there, remember when I said at the beginning that the audio is not a democracy, right? Well, these people were, these people were protected and encouraged and enabled by those at the very top. And with the exception of Wasserman, that parted ways with us all, they are still in control right um the leadership has not changed so even if the i mean the this obviously caused a, a seismic shift in the ODL, in the sense that um many many people me included and i i left for this reason and for something else as well uh, that we'll we'll look into that later but you know that is when well, i guess the membership of the ODL, those 2000 maybe became 1000 um, but the problem is that the, you know this this drift was there and it's still there right a, a lot maybe maybe, maybe a, they're not in the OTO anymore because maybe lots of these people went in, went, went back into the proud boys into the old keepers into whatever else you know was there I mean there's I don't want to name names because you never know or with people that are still alive. You never know uh, if you get like um, a lawsuit or never or anything. But I have I have screenshots of plenty of people that were very proud to be in the capital last year. They're all either OTO members or ex OTO members. It never went away because the reality is that the people at the top 
almost maybe always secretly hoped Wasserman was the um, was the figurehead and it was like it was this guy as I told you like this guy that pretty much was uh, preparing for Armageddon since the the 90s um, he was the one that uh, I mean he penned an article on the New Dawn magazine about you know is Trump the new Crowley or something like that I don't remember because I read it once and I, you know I, I, I got measles from it so, but yes you can you get the you can get the point right um, I mean, we we have we even haven't talked about other people that you mentioned before, like Augustus Sol Invictus or Gunther, but it's all in there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, very well said, also, Marco. All right, so that's a good segue into uh, J. Daniel Gunther. I, I thought it was very interesting that you uh, described him as uh, setting up an almost dominionist-like uh, wing within the OTO. Uh, could you get into that a bit for us? So basically, J. Daniel Gunter is not a member of the OTO. He, he, was, um, he, he received a degree of Minerval and he became inactive. Remember, I said at the beginning. Now, he is, however, the leader of one lineage of DAA that is in close collaboration with the OTO. It really is, um, it's almost like the OTO is used as a breeding ground for this, in their mind, more uh, idealized elite group that is that really rules everything behind the scenes. You had people writing books on this, they call it duplexity, uh, and it's the idea that, uh, like, you know, the OTO and the AA work in uh, strict um, in, in synergy, and uh, the AA is the leader behind, you know, behind the curtains. There's this this atrocious book called by, uh, Keith, uh, uh, written by Keith Reedy called um, "One Truth and One Spirit," and it's basically the worst example of badly sourced ac pseudo academic revisionism. Uh, the book has been is, it's really bad. But if you want to have like a glimpse on how these people minds work you can read it and have a laugh and pretty much the the idea is that yeah dilemma is really supposed to be uh some almost like a, a new version a telemic dominionism right this idea that you know the you have the charismatic leader on top which is almost like anointed by the grace of god or by i don't know the grace of nuit in our case uh, which makes no sense whatsoever and everybody just has to work uh as you know good uh, happy soldiers uh and being told what they do what to do all, all the time and everybody else that live that works outside this uh this idea it's it's wrong it's not just like it's not they're not just wrong they are they're like the traitors they are like the the ones that need to be uh, removed uh, from existence before anybody else because they're the one that you know they're, they're the traitors right so this is like so ridiculous because i mean even if you read Crowley's himself um or you if you have a, gen, a, a true understanding of how daa works which you know we, we didn't go into it because you know we would need another another two hours to get into it but the idea is that um the AA, it's a sempiternal school of wisdom. It, and by that, I mean it's something that has temporal presence, like I, I, I mentioned lineages, that is, people 
that are here in this world and teach this magic. Uh, but its real um, its real source is somewhere else. Okay, it's a let's say it's a metaphysical school that exists in in other spheres of of, uh, of consciousness. If you want, I'm trying to simplify it, but I guess you you understand what I mean. Now, you have tasks in the AA, and you progress to the grades as you do these tasks, and then at some point there is arrives a crucial point. Uh, where you discover your true will, you know, which is which is a fundamental point in dilemma, as I mentioned before. From that point onward, you really are prepped to um, to go on to the next ordeal, to the next um, initiation, which is the crossing of the abyss, and that's when you can establish your own school, uh, temporal uh, lineage. Okay, this is. This was always coded into the system. Crowley speaks about it. So to think that there should be only one temporal lineage, it really is uh, an attempt of not only rewriting history and philosophy, um, but also it's, it's another attempt of trying to accent to accentuate power onto, well, so, let's say so, social power in this case, onto the same characters. What I really believed uh, what I more than believe, what I really saw with my own eyes is that one of the reasons of this, you know, um, this pendulum swing from the uh, from the hippies of the 60s and 70s onto the, the, the proud boys, pretty much, it's because they, the people at the top, which are always the same, Gunther is one, uh, Breeze is another, Wasserman was a, th a third one, there are a couple of others, these people realized that they needed uh, foot soldiers that could buy into their vision without questioning it. And who's the best people who do that? The right-wingers, right? Because, I mean, I would argue that um, it's always a situation of herding cats, and it's always a situation where uh, I, I think it's a completely impossible idea to to create this unique, unique uh, system as they envision it. But uh, that's why eventually, as they were pushing this idea of one truth and one spirit of duplexity, they were they start to really, really, really uh, recruit into the far right. I will tell you that maybe they, they did not foresee how bad it would have gone, right? Because again, we're not talking about geniuses here <laughs> we're not talking about very smart people at all i think they they gambled uh on the idea that especially like on the evidence that you know maybe there was a big social uh, social change um and there's been i mean there's been a social uh i would say social earthquake since 2016 both in the united states and here in europe um and i thought that they didn't they did not envision how bad it would have gone I mean, certainly nobody envisioned COVID, but they did not realize, I think, that uh, possibly if they really had it their way, they would have been the first, uh, you know, sent to the gas chambers because they, these people tend to have only one way of dealing with the, with the different, right? I mean, we have, history repeats itself, but it seems to me that people never really study history or you never care about history. Um, so... I mean, I hope this answers your question. I realize that I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but this, as you can imagine, this is a huge, huge, huge um, topic here.
Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, it's great, man. Um, all right, so let's uh, get into Augustus' soul Invictus then. Inevitably, he would turn up in this saga. So the story with him, it's he was he he, he was um I was one I, I believe he was one of those who were uh they say um co-opted into these ideas before he went completely mad, right? Uh, I don't know how much your um, your listeners are aware of who this guy is, but pretty much yeah, give us he, kind of like a quick rundown of him. I yeah, mean, of obviously course. he's pretty comfortable, colorful uh, life. I mean, obviously, I don't know a lot of people in these circles have uh, partly tracked it, but still, uh, it's always good to recap it. It's a good laugh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Augustus Invictus is the is the guy that around 2015 uh, became uh, well, I would say a worldwide phenomenon, a worldwide name because um he, he was outed as the the guy running for senator in florida that did um kill a goat and drink its blood and and the funny bit is that he of course at the time when he was still a free man and able to to spout bullshit on online he would not deny that actually we were doubling down the sense yes i did it because it's part of my religion and i am um, i'm a, at the time he was still calling himself a, a, a telemite now nowadays after he's been in prison and after he became connected you know with the ultra far right i think he calls himself an odinist which is you know dog whistle for nazi pretty much uh but the funny story for me was that this guy was a known entity. Like I remember, like like reading the news, I was like, "What?" Because in 2013, this guy sent out a letter to each email of a, of an OTO group in the world. Like this guy spent hours uh, gathering the emails of every OTO group in the world which, as I said, there are not many, but there are hundreds. So he spent this time and he sent a letter, um, something called I am Ionas, uh, pretty much like in the style of Ezra Pound. And he was announcing him as uh, himself as the as an ipsissimus of the AA, which is, um, just to give you an idea, uh, you know, Jesus was a Magister Templi, Amagus, and then there's an ipsissimus. So just to give you an idea how important the, that, that uh, role, the grade is, and how exalted it is. So he called himself that, and also the new prophet of Telema, uh, except the, the leader of everything, etc., etc., etc. This is, I mean, this, this, is, this is pretty much like a little book, right? There's like, there's poetry in it, there's rambles, uh, there is what it became known eventually on his YouTube channel that has been completely deleted. It's back online now, but um, his old YouTube channel has been deleted, like um, the fireside chats where he, he fancies himself as a statesman. <laughs> and basically, this was 2013, and he sent this like to everybody. And of course, uh, he got expelled. Uh, interesting enough, it was Wasserman that expelled him, or at least, you know, put out the motion to expel him. Not just because he, he went mad and wrote this kind of bullshit, also because, you know, he pretty much challenged their, the power of the leadership of the OTO. That has, that's, I think it's pretty clear by now that these are people that are really, really, really struggling to keep whatever little, little... I don't know, spotlight they got from themselves in their, in their lives, like, and cling on to it. But also because he did film himself 
killing, he says ritualistically, but it was pretty much a, 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 vi a violent slaughter of a poor animal. And, uh, you know, pretty much that was used as a catalyst for say, okay, this guy's mad, we're gonna expel him. The thing is that I eventually did a bit of digging, you know, this was after 2017, you know, after um, the United Rally, United Right Rally, where he was one of the speakers, by the way, and where Matthew Lyons, the guy on the photo, was his friend, and they were like, there together. I did some digging, and I found out that it's pretty evident that it, Wasserman was one of those that was actually, I don't want to say the term grooming him to be like this, but it was definitely really giving him a lot of um, importance, because one thing that we need to accept about uh, Sol Invictus, which real name is Austin Gillespie, by the way, less, less, less uh, um, bombastic than Augustus Sol Invictus, obviously, this guy is one that, first of all, uh, is somewhat good-looking, at least was, which is not something that you find very often in the OTO, and unfortunately, uh, that's something that uh, when you when you want to like set up somebody for a leadership position, it, it's something that that you might want to think about, and it was also very well uh, learned. I mean, the guy. Um, you know, he, 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 he's crazy, but he, he has studied uh, his lectures, he has studied his law, he has studied his history, which again, as I said before, remember when we were discussing, you know, broken men and women, uh, most people in the audio don't. Most people in the audio, I don't want to say they're illiterate, but kinda. So, it looks, it, what I ended up finding out is that Wasserman was kind of like pushing this person to be potentially down the line, if he towed the party line, if he didn't create too much trouble, as one of the potential new uh, leaders of the OTO. Uh, I guess in Wasserman time, we're thinking about uh, 20 years from now, uh, but still, uh, we, we also need to understand that at this point in time, uh, Gillespie, that is Augustus Sol Invictus, had already, um, like a history of violence to against women. I already had a history of um, more than just of passing fascination with fascism, uh, more than passing fascination with Nazism, and it was clearly a deranged individual already back then. So this was this was created any didn't 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 raise any bells uh, in Wassermans to just say well, maybe this guy's fucking mad. We should not enable him. Uh, the reality there is that when he did lose his mind, you know, when he did say, okay, I'm gonna kill this goat brutally, I've seen the video, it's really distressing. I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as a catalyst for my ascension, and I will now pretty much tell everybody else that they, they need to listen to what I say. That's when people in this Basterman was like, okay, I'm gonna expel this guy. But unfortunately, uh, that didn't change the fact that as the Unite the Right rally was ongoing, people like Matthew Lyons, who were an OTO member at the time, and others that were connected to, um, to this network of alt-right in the OTO, where they're saying, um, 
oh, look at Augusto Sol Invictus. It's so successful, it's so great, it's such a glorious example of a real Telemite. It was, they, they basically, the leadership who could not touch him anymore, but everybody else was seeing him as the sort of like Superman, right? Almost like it's a Nietzschean Ubermensch, right? Because it's what he wanted to look like. So my point being is that even if um, personally, for instance, I never had any direct connection with, with Sol Invictus, I mean, the only direct connection I had is that I went to mock him and he blocked me on Facebook because that's what you do, right? Uh, he um, he was definitely uh, is definitely connected with the the, old, the other dramatis persona of of the story, and it's to me it proves that um, if it wasn't for him to completely lose his mind and challenge the leadership, um, if that didn't happen in twenty thirteen, well, I'm pretty sure that somebody like Wasserman would have actually supported his presence at the, the rally as one of the speakers, let's not forget that, uh, because it was like, you see, this is what a true telemite is like. This is what a true patriot is like. So it's, it's, really, it's really distressing when you start looking at all the pictures, right? Because it, it, it seems to me that this was, and it's more than since me, I mean, I've seen the receipts, uh, this was being planned uh, and it didn't turn out because because of these people are what they are, but I guess we've been lucky <laughs> that it didn't didn't happen. It didn't happen in the same way that eventually, you know, Trump was kicked out of of the White House. I mean, he, he, there's still like all the situation with whatever happened at the insurrection at the Capitol. And I, I, as I said before, as soon as you know, as, as soon as last year, there were people that I'm not mentioning by name that were there when these things, the story that I'm telling you were, were there, writing uh, on Facebook, writing on 4chan, writing, writing on 8chan, and they were there at the Capitol. So just to give you an idea, they're, they're, they're not gone away. They're still there. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have uh, anything else that you wanted to add about uh, Matthew Lyons? Um, well, you know what, the, the situation with him is quite sad because I had a lot of um, email, uh, Facebook message exchanges with him. Uh, I never met the guy in real life, but um, it's clear to me that he was, uh, he was being radicalized. Like this was, Matthew was a younger guy. I mean, it must, be, it must have been like in his early to mid twenties with a history of drug addiction, with a history of alcohol addiction, living uh, in a, coming from a very, very distressed family, not much money or no money at all. Uh, I think that when he died, he was working at Tracker, if I remember correctly. Uh, and uh, which was, he was making a lot of money at that point. Uh, but, you know, like you can get the idea, like very low, um, low class, if, if we can say that. Not even working class. I mean, the guy was coming from a really distressed um, environment. And every time we had an exchange, the guy was, it was not just, I mean, everybody else was there to mock me and everybody else was speaking against this or sending us death threats or calling us traitors. Um, Matthew was one who was really trying to make the point. Like it was always like, you know, like you, you, I want you to see my point. I want you to see, to understand that. I mean, even things like that, yeah, that, that, that Obama is bad. 
because black people are bad. But um, of course I was like, dude, shut the fuck up. But it was somehow not aggressive, right? It was trying, to, it was somebody with no family, with no background, with no nothing that was absolutely 100% radicalized by this uh, far right derive in the LTO. I think that there's no difference between Matthew Lyons and an Islamic bomber. It's the same thing. It's the same, it's the same concept. And it's the, it's really is something that became evident in the fact that he eventually died. He killed himself with an overdose because at some point, I guess he realized the depth of what he got himself into. Of course, I don't have any evidence. With this is my understanding, and my, I might be well wrong. I mean, it might be hundred percent into it. There's one thing too that you gonna understand. Matthew Lyons. It's the name, the same name. Like Matthew Lyons is um, is also the name of um, um, actually let's say like almost like a communist socialist uh, worker in this. Um, sorry, activist in the seventies. So I cannot really tell you if maybe even the name is made up. Uh, some people that uh, have seen his um, well birth certificate as as part of the OTO initiations told me that no, that was his real name. But I don't, I don't know, right? I cannot tell you. Possibly, I was being played by this guy, and this guy was, was as bad as everybody else. I don't think so. I think that it was it was a literally a casualty uh, of radicalization of far far right radicalization, and. Uh, and it's quite sad to be fair, because um, because I mean we're talking about a young life that that's gone. Uh, it, it's it, it's also kind of disgusting to me that a lot of those people that I told you that are still there, et cetera, et cetera, kind of use him as the memory of Matthew Lyons as a sort of um, I don't know, a sort of martyr for the cause, uh, where it seems to me that possibly it's them who killed them. Uh, I'm 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 curious to see how much like hate I'm gonna get for these comments because it's the first time that I that I say out loud like this. So, but yeah, that's definitely how I, what I think happened there. Yeah, no, and I mean it, it's it's definitely a pattern I think in a lot of these uh, these kind of fringe circles connected to the alt right that they do tend to target a lot of times these uh, younger uh, individuals who are also uh, unstable in a lot of different ways, uh, frequently through social media. Uh, it sounds like this is kind of very much the case in Matthew Lyon's uh, account that you've told me. So yeah, I mean, this is a, sadly, I mean, this is a common uh, modus operandi that uh, I've seen played out quite a bit over the last couple of years. All right. So how did the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally serve as a catalyst uh, for what we're about to get into? Well, because that was the first time that um, me and many others realized that something was uh, deeply wrong with with the OTO. I mean, I realized that I, I sound very critical. <laughs> that's an euphemism, of course, right now. But up until that, that time, I, I don't want to say I was the poster boy of the OTO, but I was the poster boy of the OTO in the sense that um, I was beginning to realize all the problems that we discussed it so far. But I was really thinking, I, I think I was like feeling the whole sunk cost fallacy, right? Like I invested so many years into this. 
I'm gonna make it work, right? And uh, for me, all of this came as a complete shock, possibly because here in the UK, for all the uh, the problems that we have in the in the UK, um, that would soon become much worse, as you know, because you know what's going what we're gonna talk up next, but. Up until that point, uh, yes, I could see that there was a lot of people, a lot of problems with the uh, with the leadership being incompetent. But that was about it. Like we never had, I never experienced myself anything like, you know, a far right derive here. So for me, I was like, oh wow, that's that, that's terrible, right? Um, that's that was the ground zero for something like, like a group of people coming together and trying to figure out you know what we're going to do about it right what we what, what can be done about it um that's when telemic union came to be telemic union is the now event is a website that um pretty much you know tries to keep on doing the promulgation of telema um but just offering an alternative, uh, a visible alternative to the OTO. At the time, the OTO was really growing, in fact, uh, because it was really like the uh, there there well there was like a, a drive to try and bring it like kicking and screaming into the twenty first century, finally, and you know attract more people. Uh, so the Telemic Union came to be as a way to okay, if we cannot do it through the OTO anymore, let's do it our way. Um, I'm not a founding member of, of Telemic Union. I, I'm a collaborator. I wrote some articles on that. Um, it's it's the work of EL131, uh, which was, with me, one of the biggest uh, vocal critics of whatever was happening. So I would say, you know, this is it. This is how that, that weekend and, uh, you know, Wasserman's comments on that, uh, the, the stunning silence of every other leader because there's something maybe it wasn't clear. As Wasserman was saying these things abs publicly on his on his on his Facebook timeline timeline um, on forums on Facebook, no one else at no one else of his peers were there to challenge him, with one exception, uh, Rodney Orpheus. Rodney Orpheus was. Uh, it, I mean, he is a friend of mine. He used to be a nine-degree member. I mean, he's still a nine-degree member of the ODO, so top degree. He was a member of the, that leadership cast, right? And he, he's resigned ever since. And he was the only one who actually really tried to say something against Wasserman. And he was mocked. Uh, he was you know, derided. He was harassed. Everything that you can imagine, right? Um, Lon Mayu Duquette, which is a name that you might have heard, and I mentioned him before. Uh, it's very, it's one possibly like the well, most well-known telemic writer, and definitely a, a, a like um, a liberal, uh, an old hippie, uh, a good guy, you know. <laughs> and uh, he he tried he tried to say something, but like you know, Lon, Lon is a very uh, let's say he's a very polite person, and uh, so he he did what he could. Right, but apart from them, no one else was doing it. It was basically down to us, which were we were pretty much middle management at the time, to go out, try to do something, try to say something against it, and basically being slaughtered alive by the by all the vocal. At the time, it's it felt like the vocal majority, 
it turned out to be the vocal minority, but 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 what what really turned out to, to became evident is that while these people were the vocal minority out there, um, the rest were just the just the rest of the people just didn't care, right? It was like passive and uh, almost like like you know unable to unable to stand their ground. Uh, you know the kind of idea that if you if you sit at uh, at the table with with 10 nazis you there's 11 nazis at the table and that was the reality of most of the people in the audio like you you would have like this very 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 nasty group of people trying to really bully and threaten you into silence you would have like rodney long trying rodney very very vocally long um in a more, uh, you know, like uh, in a more gentle way, try to state their disgust with the situation, and then you would have the deafening silence of everybody else. So everything changed in that that summer. And you know, to be fair, that I really believe the audio died that summer. Uh, and this is even before the other sexual scandals came up, which is the sexual scandals happened a year later. So you know what? It's it really. It, uh, it's true that it's difficult to gauge, to gauge, you know, how much of the OTO still is out there right now because of COVID. Um, what I think they did right is that as COVID became a, a worldwide pan pandemic and the issues that we've been dealing with for the last two years and counting, the OTO worldwide shut down. I say no meetings, no nothing. Uh, I think, you know, I think, like I say, like maybe another thousand people are gone by now. But I, I can't tell because they're still shut. Uh, but I really believe that the audio died not because of COVID. The audio died because of what happened that summer, pretty much. All right. So let's uh, get in. Or this is all um, all the stuff with the uh, Unite the Right rally and all this is unfolding against the backdrop of a brewing scandal in uh, the UK OTO involving Sister Georgia, which you've been uh, alluding to here. So could you get into that for us now and how you became involved? That's another that's another sad story out there. So as as all of this was unfolding, I became aware in December of 2017, so a few months down the line, right, that here in the UK, we were we were going to face a really big issue, potentially a scandal. So one member of the OTO, uh, Georgia Van Ralt, uh, she, and I speak her name because she went public with it. I mean, she wrote plenty of articles and uh, she's, she, I mean, she never shied away from telling her story herself with her full name. Uh, turned out that the, the same weekend, in Glastonbury, UK, during uh, a weekend of initiations, uh, she was raped by the the let's the, the secretary of the Glastonbury Oasis. Now, this was also when you know the Me Too move movement was you know gaining steam. And again, it's really, really telling to say that this this was happening every all that we can, right? That 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 that, that August twenty seventeen was when things really took a nosedive. 
So I became aware of this in December and she came to me because we were friends and because at the time I was, I, I, I had a, this officer position in, in a methodology in London, like I was a treasurer. And I often spoke about degrees in the OTO, which are important. They're like, they represent the initiatory, where you are in the initiatory ladder. However, it is often said that what really matters in the OTO is which administ administrative office you have. Uh, if you have an, if you like, if you, at the time I was like a, a perfect initiate, the PI degree, and I was a, a but I was a treasurer. So I, I pretty much I had the ears and I could talk with people across the degree because we were, we were the ones actually administering the, the lodge and the order. So she came to me and I, I was like shocked because the person that, that the rapist was another person that we all, we all consider like a, like a bit of a, uh, of a village idiot, but the good village idiot, right? Uh, and it turns out that he, he, she wasn't the only one. There were there are there are plenty of other women that they I will not say their names because they have not they have not come out publicly. But it it's much bigger than just her. She decides to be public about it, uh, and she decide and we talking together also with other people, we decide that maybe, you know, as the OTO is going into this dark night of the soul, if you want, with everything that happens in the, in, is happening right now in the United States, maybe this is a good time to face also these real fucking big issues of sex, you know, sex abuse that goes into, into the order. Um, as I said, Georgia wasn't the only one, and there was a, there, there was a history of sex, uh, sexual, uh, abuse of various kind, both in the UK and in the US. Also, people came up, came to, as Georgia writes publicly about it, lots of people came out of the woodwork and, and tell us their stories. And so uh, we decide, Georgia decides, uh, and I, uh, I, um, I advise her to keep writing publicly, which is something that was completely frowned upon by the leadership. It's like, no, 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 we're going to deal with this in, um, in, in between us, but you should stop writing about it. Georgia rightly say, fuck you, I'll do what I want. And um, she keeps writing it. And at the same time, we still try to go through, let's say there's a lot of like internal um, ways of dealing with, uh, with, of dealing with problems inside the OTO. And one is pretty much like appealing to what is called the Grand Tribunal. We did this appealing to the Grand Tribunal and it was a travesty in the sense that they let this thing goes on, go on and on and on and on and on for months, for six months from December 2017 to June 2018. Um, and eventually they replied to Georgia by saying, well, we came to, to the, we, we, we deliberated uh, and we cannot deliberate because the guy decided to resign. What happened there is that this guy had dirt on the OTO and he traded his silence for them letting him to resign because if when they were letting him to resign, 
he would not be publicly shamed as a rapist. That's when I lost my fucking mind because I was like, this is beyond acceptable. This is the same level of bullshit that goes down into the Vatican. And as I said, I'm from Rome. I, I left Rome. I never want to go back. Rome is not the beautiful postcard that everybody thinks it is. Uh, and the, the shadow of the Vatican is everywhere in, in, Italian, in the Italian lifestyle. That's where I always escaped. I was left behind. And I was there facing the same issues. So uh, what happened next is that um, we, at that point, both Georgia and I, and a couple of others that were supporting over, that's when we became targets. That's when we, um, we really had all these like alt-right, far-right uh, trolls, both from the OTO and adjacent to, uh, to this the group of people, coming at us super hard. Um, there was one, one person that, um, I mean, this, there was a lot of like anonymous stalking and harassing and threatening. And there was also a couple of people that were doing it with their face. And every time, and these people were members of the, the OTO, like, and when I was telling, dude, uh, stop, stop, I mean, I'm gonna report you, like these people were just like mocking me for even thinking that, you know, the OTO would be able to do anything to stop them. And when I then went to, you know, to actually report them, the people at the top told me, uh, well, we, we, we told him that he should stop. He said that he doesn't want to stop. What can we do? Uh, this is, this is just to give you an idea, this was not just like people calling me, I don't know, an idiot. These were people setting up fake websites, uh, so trying like pretty much like, there's this thing that, that if anybody's curious to see something horrendous, that on my website, there is uh, the screenshot of this 8chan um, message board where they were outing me uh, as a pedophile, uh, were naming my father, were naming several of my ex-girlfriends that at that point I had no contact with them for years, putting pictures on from my, at the time, Instagram, like, uh, and they were pretty much asking people to say this person. Remember, this was Pizzagate time huh? when people were people like showed up uh, at the the pizzeria with a with a rifle. They were asking this person who works at Treadwells in London, go do something about it. Now, I think uh, what saved my ass, if I if you, if you excuse my French, is that pretty much everybody else in uh, slash poll on HN was telling these people hey, stop stop larping yeah i mean this guy maybe might be into weird stuff because they found my fat life profile i mean i've been in, interested in, in fetish all my life I, I used to dj at torture garden so I mean, it's not a secret right um and they were like oh yeah i mean many of these guys is a perv but and he has like weird sexual appetites, but it's clearly not what you what you tell you make him to be. This is clearly your personal vendetta. I think I was lucky. I'm not sure I would be this lucky right now, given how bad things change over the years. I think sorry, uh, bad things uh, evolved over the years, and this was coming from my brethren, and this was coming from people that I reported to to the the authorities of the OTO. And they told me, 
can, what can we do? So what I like to tell people, right, is that uh, every time people still ask me, like, should I join the OTO? My point is that, well, you can join it and you can get scammed and you can, your energy can, can get, you know, uh, taken away by whoever is at the top of this pyramid, but you're, you're also going to risk to be raped and uh, doxxed on, on far-right message boards because it happened and it will happen again because the people at the top are, they don't care. They are, and they are, they have, they know that they have no power really. They are unable to stop these potentially very violent individuals that they welcome into their fold. And they are okay with, I mean, at least they were okay in that sense, for these violent people to, to have their ways if it was a way to silence dissent and to, you know, get rid of the um, of, of of those who were criti critical of of the OTO itself, you know, I mentioned in 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 my writings, I mentioned about something called uh, the fair game policy of Scientology. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, Ron Hubbard, which is a person that is connected to the lemma through various uh, various in various places and you know we're not going to go into that right now because it's uh it's way way too too much to discuss but one of the policies that ron hubbard um penned for scientology was fair game and pretty much means that if somebody is somebody is a traitor to the organization he is fair game you can do anything to them and that's how you i mean that's that's how they got Scientology got the, the tax exempt status because part of the fair game was, I mean, in the 70s uh, and 80s, they actually were there stalking brutally the IRS offices that were on their case up until the point that the IRS could not find anything, anyone to work um, on Scientology, and they just caved in. Scientology, it's it's the only person, sorry, the only entity that that I know that did something like this to the IRS. Um, now, the audio has, doesn't have the money or the reach of Scientology, but the vibe is exactly the same. These people will, the people at the top had no qualms whatsoever into silencing a sex abuse scandal, a rape. They had no intention to um, pretty much make sure that the, their members, even somebody like me that at the time, I was one of the most hardworking uh, people in the order, at least here in the UK, uh, they just, as soon as they realize this is too big, as soon as they realize uh, these people are talking, if we can find a way to do the dirt, find somebody that will do the dirty work for us, we're fine. So yes. Um, it's been some interesting years, let's put it like that. Okay, that's a, a good note to end things on. So uh, I remind you guys again that uh, the second part of uh, this interview will be up in two days on February 16th, Wednesday. Uh, you can get that along with uh, the first installment in uh, my examination of Rosicrucianism with a uh, special uh, uh, close eye on uh, Amorc 
with uh, Alf and Forum Borealis. Both of those will be up on uh, Wednesday, two days from now. So check that out in the subscriber section if you are so inclined. Hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed this interview. It is uh, certainly packed full with a lot of uh, interesting information. And uh, the second part uh, is a bit of a deep dive into some more arcane elements of uh, the Saturnine current, time magic, and uh, some more explorations of uh, alt-right harassment with HN to boot. It's uh, pretty interesting as well. So hopefully you guys will continue on to that. But regardless, I appreciate you guys and thank you all for listening. And with that, for now, I will sign off. Good night and good luck to you all.